Welcome to Childcare CRM, the podcast. You're familiar with Childcare CRM, the company, and hopefully you love using Childcare CRM, the product. I'm your host, Sierra Rossing, and I serve as the content marketing specialist here at Childcare CRM. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. This one is going to be jam-packed with a lot of advice and tips for building a positive company culture, improving staff retention, and how to hire rockstar candidates for your center. So we're going to be joined by Hani Wolschansky, who's an early childhood leadership coach and the CEO of Schools of Excellence. Hani actually began her journey over a decade ago when she was teaching toddlers at the acclaimed Preschool of the Arts in New York City for about eight years. Then she continued her path into high studies and earned her master's in EC and special education. In 2015, Hani started training teachers and school leaders on the how part of creating excellence in their schools. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Sierra. I'm so excited to be back here. Yes, yeah, it was great to have you on the webinar, and I'll make sure to include a link down that um, a link to the webinar in the description below for anyone who missed that. Uh, we got some really great feedback about um, you know the four parents you're marketing to at your center. Awesome. Okay, so I know you have a new program coming up. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that's going to cover? Yeah, so we have an exciting workshop that's coming up. It's called Delegate to Elevate. And what this is really for is for owners, school leaders, executive directors, uh, regional managers, anyone who's in kind of this uh, VP of operations, anyone who's in this level of leadership, where we really need to understand how to truly delegate to our team so we can elevate and grow and scale the business. What happens is a lot is we start to elevate certain teams teachers into director positions. I always say to every single director that I work with, and most directors never were wanted to be a director or never really came into the school to be the director. They were pushed and elevated into that position because they were superstar teachers. And what needs what what we need to understand when it comes to really high levels of management and leadership is to truly scale and grow. We have to understand how to delegate to the team depending on their role, what we need to delegate to them. Most people don't do delegation. Most people have helpers. You don't want helpers. We have plenty of those. We need leaders and managers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so interesting. You mentioned that so many people didn't come in necessarily expecting to be a director and then, you know, maybe showed some leadership qualities and got put into that position. Um, How do you suggest that people who are kind of put in that position, um, adapt and begin leading a team when Mm -hmm. they may have no experience before. Yeah. So one of the things to remember is that leading a team of grownups is very different than leading a team of 18 two-year-olds. And I know that it sounds obvious, but many people approach management and leadership of teachers as kind of like they're running a classroom. And what's important to understand when you're leading, and then even when you're elevated into your ownership position, is the skills that get you here are never the skills that get you to the next place. I'm going to say that again. What got you here doesn't get you there. So the skills as a teacher, especially if you're teaching toddlers, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, one of the core skills that you need is to understand how to multitask. You cannot put on one kid's 
you know, coat at a time. You have to know how to put on seven kids coats all at the same time because you have 18 two year olds. Okay. You have to know how to have your eye in 4,000 places because if you're only focused on one kid, then you got another kid biting and you have another kid throwing a block and you have another kid pulling someone's hair. So multitasking and having your eyes in a hundred places is a key foundational skill to being a phenomenal teacher. Multitasking when you're a director or when you're an owner is the kiss of death. It is career suicide. Any director and owner who tries to multitask or tries to do a thousand things at once or doesn't understand how to manage their time can never grow and scale. They're heading straight to crash and burn. So this is such an important part to understand as you scale, as you manage people, as you elevate yourself, is you're constantly having to shed the old self and create a new self. You have to shed the beliefs of, okay, I have to multitask and I have to do this and I have to do this. No, 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 no. You're elevating into a new position. Everything that you thought and believed is no longer true. You got to have a whole new set of skills now. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's so interesting that you mentioned, so the multitasking and kind of trying to handle, juggle everything at once and handle everything by yourself, um, in my experience, has so often led to almost micromanaging yeah. um, because you just really want to be in control and you're so afraid to, you know, kind of, like you said, delegate to someone else. Yeah. Well, how do you suggest, you know, because obviously, building a team that's willing to go that extra mile or, you know, take that extra step to be a leader, whether it's in the classroom or in the center or across multiple centers that, I mean, that starts with a strong foundation. So how would you suggest that these directors and owners, they build that foundation, a strong company culture from within? So I get this question hundreds of times a week. How do I build a great culture? How do I inspire my people? How do I elevate my people? How do I motivate my people? How do I get buy-in? And the answer that most people are looking for is, here's the secret. You have to do this, or you have to pay them this amount, or you have to give them this amount of profit share, or you need to give them this type of health insurance, or you have to buy them this type of coffee. And there are zero gimmicks when it comes to creating a culture. It is ridiculously hard, super, super disciplined, and you have to have radical self-awareness as a leader. There are zero gimmicks. There are zero shortcuts. It is hard work. So we're five minutes into the podcast, and the first thing I'm going to tell whoever's listening to this is if you're looking for a quick trick, I am not that person. Please go to Google. Please go to Facebook. Please go to Pinterest. Go to any of those places and search for the quick gimmicks. What you're going to hear on this podcast is the hard work that it takes to build sustainability within your organization and your company culture, and it all starts with you. When you ask a question, how do I get my people to do this? You're asking the wrong question. The question that you need to ask is, how do I design an environment that inspires my people to elevate themselves? And who do I need to become so that my people want to step into this world? That is a question that we often forget to ask us. Who do I need to become? so that my people elevate and inspire themselves and we create this scale and we grow the company. Who you need to become is a very different person than who you are right now. Being radically self-aware is recognizing 
Am I scattered all over the place? Do I have the right boundaries? Do I have clarity of vision and purpose of where I'm heading? Am I articulate about the company values and standards? Do I know the direction of where the company's going? Am I disciplined about my own time and about my own projects and about getting things done on time? These are questions that are very difficult to answer because it requires you to take the mirror and put it on yourself, not on your people. Because 90% of the issues in your school, in your company are not, are not your teachers. They're yours. They're yours. You see, many of us are very good self-leaders. We know how to manage ourselves. We're very good at managing ourselves, at being disciplined with ourselves. We manage ourselves. Managing someone else, leading someone else is a completely different skill. It's a completely different skill, but that's already a higher level. There are many people that are listening to this podcast that don't know how to manage themselves. Self-leadership, self-management. And that's what I talk about all the time in our in my podcast, on our workshops, in our trainings, um, in our directors, in our circle, in our owners. All these things are about self-leadership, understanding how to manage and lead yourself first before anything else. And so obviously you have a plethora of resources regarding that topic. Um, where can they go? You know, where can directors access that those resources so they can get some more education about, um, you know, being their own, being their own boss and kind of being their own inspiration? Yeah. So I, I would definitely say, I mean, we have a, an amazing podcast called the Schools of Excellence podcast. You could definitely check that out. Um, and then we also have this upcoming workshop on Delegate to Elevate, which is be understanding your personal self-leadership that you need to work on to delegate, to elevate your team. Um, I think I also, you know, right here on this show, we'll share some some of these strategies as well. Um in how to really become a great self-leader that eventually learns how to lead and manage other people. Yeah. And you mentioned being self-aware as well, mm -hmm. um, which I think is so important for everyone, you know, just um, whether it's emotional awareness, being uh, aware of, you know, your capability at work versus your capability of, you know, kind of work-life balance, especially for directors in the, and um, educators as well in the childcare space. They're, working tirelessly, um, you know, and put pouring into other people's children and their staff. Um, so how do you recommend they kind of achieve that work-life balance, especially as a director and owner? So I actually don't really believe so much in work-life balance. I believe in work-life integration. Um, I believe there's very, very little balance because there's always going to be seasons that require you to step up more in the business. And there's going to be required seasons that are going to have you step up more in your family. And then there's going to be seasons where it's a giant mess of everything. Life is, there is no cleanness of like, this is the way it is. There is messiness. There is ambiguity. There is uncertainty. There is unknown. There is chaos. There is frustration. And then there's also joy and gratitude and appreciation um, and confidence and stepping up again and finding all the beauty. There's all of it. You can't have one. You cannot selectively mute pain or mute ambiguity, or mute the uncertainty. You cannot systemize your way through pain or through frustration. You can't say, I'm going to create every single system possible so I never experience frustration, or I never experience the chaos, or I never experience any mistakes again. You 
you're not realizing that part of growing is experiencing the human emotions that come with growth. And every human is going to experience self-doubt, frustration, shame, blame, imposter syndrome. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't ask for help. I'm too embarrassed to step up. You're going to experience all of that. And you know what that means? It means that you're growing. That's what it means. Embrace it, right? When I start feeling doubt, I'm like, okay, schools of excellence is growing. That's why I'm feeling this. That's why I've got all the doubt. That's why I've got all the chaos. We're growing. We're reaching our threshold again. And yeah. so it's, it's the awareness of recognizing that uncertainty and chaos and ambiguity are not bad things. They're regular human emotions that you're going to experience as you grow and scale. And so when you're looking at integrating your two worlds, what you're looking at is actually creating really strong boundaries of where you cross the line and where you don't cross the line, where work comes and where work doesn't come, right? Creating these strict guidelines. So one of my strict boundaries are from Friday afternoon at around three o'clock, my phone is off until Sunday morning. It is off. It is not on silent. It is not on vibrate. It is off. My computer is off. My phone is off. I am unreachable. It doesn't matter how big the emergency is. Unless you knock on my door, you can't reach me. I am unreachable. Now, this is a boundary that I've put in place, right? This is one of my boundaries. There are many people listening to this. Oh, I can never do that. That's okay. That's your business, right? You decide what your boundaries are. These are my boundaries. This is one of them. I am unreachable. Okay. Another boundary that I have in place is at, in the evening, right? When I turn my phone off, when I decide I'm not answering messages from work anymore. Okay. I have other boundaries. How many hours a day I need to dedicate towards my family. And if I'm not dedicating that time, that means something's broken in my business. That means I've taken on too many projects. So we all have different kinds of boundaries that we need to put into place that help us operate at our peak. But you're not going to know what boundary you need to implement until you start testing. And this is one of the other things that a lot of leaders struggle with is they want to get it right, right out of the gate. They want it to be perfect right out of the gate. They want to get every single boundary right out of the gate. You have to fail. You have to get hurt to know that this is a boundary that you need now. Right. You, you, you have to walk through the disappointment to be like, oh, OK, this is what doesn't work here. Now, you can shorten the learning curve and have less disappointment when you work alongside peer groups and mentors and coaches who advise you, hey, this is coming. Put this boundary in place so that doesn't happen to you. Right. But the only way you're going to know that is if you're surrounded by the right group of people. We don't know what we don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And that's why constantly investing in your leadership growth is the fastest path to self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of going, you mentioned your leadership path and kind of going back to maybe those who, you know, might be interested in leadership positions that maybe, you know, a, a director could rely on those individuals. Um, what are your thoughts on providing paths to leadership for the staff um, in your center? So I think 
one of the things that are challenging for owners and directors, especially when we operate from a place of scarcity of I don't have enough, my budget isn't big enough, this isn't big enough, I don't have enough time, is we forget to recognize that investing in our team is one of the first things that should come onto a line item in the budget. What happens more often than not is the line item of professional growth is equivalent to like, I don't know, buying toilet paper for the company. It's like, well, we invest, you know, $1,000 a year in toilet paper. So we have $1,000 a year to invest in professional development. Um, what What's important to recognize is that investing in your people is the only way to growth and scale because you can't grow and scale a company by yourself. You cannot, you can't do anything by yourself. We need teams to do everything, right? We are social beings. We need to work together with one another and collaborate together. The breakage of collaborating together means there needs to be difficult conversations. There is going to be frustration. There is going to be breakage in communication. There is going to be all of those things, right? And then there's also going to be connection, human joy, collaboration, peacefulness, right? Real rich relationships. But we only want the rich relationships and the joy. We don't want the difficult conversations, right? We're like, oh, I can't do difficult conversations. I avoid them. I hate conflict, right? I do the sandwich method. I say the compliment, you know, the hard thing, and then the compliment again, right? I don't want to hurt people. What you really are is you're too afraid to not be liked, you're too afraid for someone to not like you in that moment. And avoiding difficult conversations is the fastest path to a toxic culture. I'm going to say that again. Avoiding difficult conversations is the fastest path to a toxic culture. Why? Because the fastest path to a great culture is having difficult conversations. Many people think a great culture is one that gives out $5 gift cards and buys lunches. That's not culture. That's called appreciation for doing hard work. Culture is when people are ready to communicate and be vulnerable and tear down their armor and say, hey, when you said that to me, it hurt. I felt disrespected and unseen. And so I want to do a do over with you. Can we try that conversation again? That is culture. That is two people coming together and saying, I want to be seen and heard. And when you spoke to me before, I didn't feel that way right? Difficult conversations is, hey, we need to talk about your punctuality because it's hurting the rest of the team. And so I know it's difficult for you to come on time and we need to have a conversation about that. Stop avoiding it. Stop avoiding it, right? We avoid it because we want to be liked. But being grown up is having the courage to have hard conversations. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And I think I mean, obviously, authenticity and transparency seem to be kind of at the core of those conversations, sure. um, which can be, you know, hiring, of course, is a huge topic right now. Yes. Um, and that can be kind of hard to convey in a job posting or even sure. in an interview that, you know, you might not be able to offer the benefits or the amount of money that this uh, your competitor is offering, but you have this, you know, transparent, authentic company culture. So how would you suggest hiring managers or directors, whoever it may be, um, show, showcase that in interviews or online to candidates? So 
what's important to recognize is that one, you have to believe that it's really happening. We just had a client who's been with us for less than 90 days in our uh, owner's HQ program. She made an offer to a teacher and she thought the teacher was for sure not going to take it because she was off also offered to work by the competitor and um, who paid more. And she came back to our client and said, hey, you know, I really heard amazing things about your company culture and I really enjoyed our conversation and I want to work with you guys. Um, and I know that I'm going to get paid less. And I'm not expecting more. I just I want to work here. Um, so I want you to know that these stories exist and they're not one off stories a huge portion of our clients actually continue to tell us these stories that people come to work for them, even though they're not the highest payers because they want to work in their cultures. So it's when people talk about your culture as being a great culture, you know, that's one of the ways that, you know, you have a great culture, right? The teachers are talking about it. Um, but the thing to answer your specific question around, you know, how to hire and how to really work at um, how to really uh, attract and retain these great quality candidates. One of the big things that are happening is I believe that we're selling the easy card. Um, we, you know, we kind of tell staff like, don't worry, I'm going to give you everything that you need and it's going to be okay. And this is fine. And, you know, I have a ready curriculum for you. And we kind of tell them that everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to be easy. And then they come in on day one and they're like, holy moly. Childcare is hard. There are 17 people that are pulling at my pants and two kids sneezed on me, you know, and I think I got sick today, you know, welcome to childcare, right? And then they don't show up the next day. Um, and this is happening a lot because we're not being honest and truthful about what this is about. Now, I'm not saying you need to tell all the horror stories up front, <laughs> What you want to do is you want to be transparent and say, you know, childcare is is challenging. Working with kids is hard and so unbelievably rewarding. It is so challenging to be in a two-year-old classroom. And we do our best to give you the right support, the right tools, the right skills, and the right guidance throughout the journey. But it is going to be challenging because teaching a two-year-old is challenging, right? It's 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 not sugarcoating the reality of what happens in the classroom, right? Being a parent is so beautifully rewarding and it is so ridiculously hard every single moment of the day, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love being a parent and there's, it's also really hard. And so you want to be attracting people that embrace hard things that want a challenge that want to grow right? That want to move forward and want to be part of something bigger and better. So what, what school leaders need to really be looking at more than anything is the type of culture that they're creating. What we need to remember is that pay is not the end all be all, right? There are people that are making multiple six figures in corporate America and are miserable, miserable. People want to be happy, People want to be happy. People want to work in a place that appreciates them and values them. And people are ready to get paid less, but work in an environment like that. So you need to believe that as a reality. If you believe that every, in order for someone to be happy, they have to get paid top dollar. Well, then great. Then that's that's your belief system. I'm not going to argue with that. Right. I don't believe you need to pay someone top dollar in order for them to be happy. I believe there's a lot of other factors in someone's happiness and well-being in the school. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's great that you mentioned that example of the candidate choosing kind of that positive company culture, just happiness over maybe, you know, finances, because I do think that is so common. And, um, you know, I see that all the time, um, just, you know, with friends, family, whoever it may be, people really are trending towards. And I think especially, you know, COVID, um, COVID-19 obviously had a huge impact on how we all view our life goals and what we want and our priorities. And I think we, you know, people are prioritizing their health, their happiness, um, whether that's mental health or physical, but yeah, their happiness as well is huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. People do not want to work in high stress, um, you know, areas like people want to be, have high goals and, you know, there's, there's pushing towards something exciting and we're challenging ourselves and there's definitely moments of stress or, you know, pressure or whatever it is. Um, but toxic environments, no. Right. Yeah. And so speaking of toxic environments, um, and just kind of, you know, long-term it's keeping that positive company culture for the long term for your employees. How do you suggest directors keep that up? Um, is it, you know, weekly touch bases, monthly touch bases? Yep. How often should they be working alongside their uh, staff to figure out what they're lacking or what they're happy with? Yeah. So I always start with um, the gratitude matrix. We have a whole podcast episode. It's episode three on the schools of excellence podcast called the gratitude matrix. So I believe the first step is actually articulating to people that you're grateful for their work. Um, so I'll give you an example. I just did this this morning for all of my internal team members. Um, when I see someone, you know, step up in their leadership or, or whatever it is I want them to be managing up for, I give them specific gratitude. So I just recorded a voice message to my director of operations. And I said, you know, hey, I just want to give you some feedback. I really love the way that you led um, the team meeting this morning. You were super prepared. It was well managed. You, you know, were able to organize it even when things were starting to get off track. Um, I felt that that everyone knew exactly what their projects were when they left the meeting. Um, and I felt that it was really well done. And it was, you know, so much better than you did a couple of weeks ago. And I'm really proud of the way that you showed up. And I sent that as a voice message to her. Now, what this does to the team members, it shows them my boss notices. She recognizes when I'm stepping up and she's giving me specific feedback of where she likes that I stepped up. I'm going to go do more of that. Yeah. With teachers, you want to be doing the same thing. You want to be giving them specific gratitude for where they're showing up. Now, here is the caveat with this. Um, what happens is, is when I tell directors to do this, is they do this with the people that they're already doing it for before I told them this. It's very easy to give gratitude to the people that you notice all the time. You have to give gratitude to the people that aren't noticeably doing hard work because they are still working hard. You have to dig for it. You have to hunt for it. And so you can't just have an approach of, well, when I see something, I always give gratitude. No, gratitude needs to be a system. You don't only check your bank account when you get a phone call from the bank. Hey, you're overdrawn, right? You check your bank account consistently so that you know exactly how much money is in there. So you know exactly what's going on. Gratitude needs a system. You need to be systematically observing your staff and giving them specific gratitude for how they're showing up. 
because if you have more than 10 teachers, you're never going to see every single person shining every single day. Just doesn't work like that. Gratitude has to be intentional. You have to intentionally walk into the classroom and look for it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's such a great point because I do think that so many people end up feeling undervalued maybe just because the things that they aren't doing aren't the flashy, pretty tasks that everyone notices. Um, So for someone who maybe has, you know, several locations and they want to provide that, you know, that um, acknowledgement to their staff as well, would you suggest surveys, um, you know, regular meetings, touch bases with maybe the staff around them to see if they caught anything that someone else was doing that was really great. Um, You know, how would you suggest they just keep an eye on those things? Great question. So when you're managing multiple locations, the chain of command changes. So when you're managing multiple locations, you are no longer in charge of the teachers. You're in charge of the managers who are in charge of the teachers. So when you're an owner and you have three or more locations, you will typically have a manager or director at each location. You can't, meaning every location needs a manager at the location. Those are the people that are responsible to give gratitude to the teachers and you are responsible to give gratitude to them. So you need to be at those locations or having regular one-on-ones with them via Zoom so that you understand what's going on so you can give them gratitude and model what they should be doing with the teachers. An owner who owns five or six locations cannot physically give gratitude to every one of their teachers. They'll have 60 to 70 staff. That's not humanly possible, right? Um, You want your directors and managers to be doing that. The other thing that I would say to upkeep a positive company culture is, and I know this sounds counterintuitive, You need to have difficult conversations. You need to actually ask the questions and ask people, what is the most joyful part of your day? What is the hardest part of your day? When someone tells you the hardest part of their day, it gives you insight into their struggle so you can help them so they can be happier. You need to be ready to have the hard conversations. And what's really difficult for leaders is that They're afraid to hear the truth. They're afraid because they're afraid they're not going to be able to take action on it. They're afraid their egos are going to get hurt. It will. Your ego will get hurt. You will be okay. You might not know what to do. That's okay. No one said you have to know all the answers. There are thousands of people that can help you figure out the answer to that question. But don't not ask the question because you're afraid you you won't know the answer. Leadership is about pushing boundaries. It's about asking these hard questions. It's about having these difficult conversations and having the humility to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really, really powerful, especially just asking, you know, what's the worst part of your day? And yeah. even if you even if you can't help, I think the, the fact, fact that they feel like they can talk about that with you is going to make a huge difference. Absolutely. And it's really understanding how to listen, right? It's really understanding how to ask the person, like, where are you feeling undermined? I always ask this question to assistant teachers. Assistant mm-hmm. teachers are the most undermined in the in the chain of command in childcare um, because they're trusted the least. Um, and when I was a director, I used to always ask assistant directors, where do you feel undermined? Where do you feel that your opinion might not be valued? Where are you feeling unseen and unheard? 
where do you feel you want to earn more respect? Not where do you feel you deserve more respect? No, no, no. You have to work for respect. Where do you feel you want to work your way towards being respected more? Right? Many people say, well, my, well, the teacher doesn't respect me. Okay. In what areas would you like to earn her respect? Right? Let me help you. Because mm-hmm. respect is earned. It's not a given. Yeah. Respect is earned. Basic human respect, of course. But to respect you as like a teacher and as a valuable opinion, you have to earn that respect. Mm-hmm. So I ask these hard questions and sometimes they're a sucker punch to your face. It hurts. <laughs> yeah. and, you have to sit and say, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. Now I can help you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the assistant teacher thing is so interesting because I actually was an assistant teacher um, several okay. years back. And so that is, I mean, Does that resonate? That was, it was not how it was run back then. Um, but that would have been just amazing just to, you know, for someone to ask for that kind of input from mm-hmm. an assistant teacher would have been, would have felt great, you know, and yeah. I'm sure it's the same now, of course. Oh, I love that. I love that. For me, whenever I hear people say things like, yeah, that was my experience. I wish, you know, someone would have asked me that question. It's just, again, a testament to understand that this is what's happening on the field of play. And as the leader, you have the power to change that. You have the power to change that. And so do you have um, any key takeaways that people can you know, start implementing in their center today with either, you know, new people they're onboarding, hiring, or long-term staff who maybe need, um, you know, maybe they haven't had that company culture for a while now and they kind of want to refresh and recharge them. Yeah. So I always like to start with one-on-ones with every single person, Um, especially if you've never run a one-on-one before, you've like, you just, you don't have any experience in leading that. Um, The first thing to understand a one-on-one is very different than a fly-by conversation. A lot of people, Mm -hmm. oh, I have one-on-ones with the teachers all the time. I'm like, standing one-on-one at the carpool line is not a one-on-one. That's a fly-by carpool conversation. Standing one-on-one outside of the bathroom stall is not a one-on-one. It's a bathroom conversation. A one-on-one is a scheduled meeting that exists in your calendar where the teacher comes into your office and you shut your phone and you close all your browsers and you close the door and you tell the administrative assistant you're not available for 30 minutes unless there's a fire or the building's burning down, you are not available. That is a one-on-one. That is telling someone, I see you, I value you, I appreciate you, and I took time out of my calendar to give to you. Not time while I'm doing carpool, time while I'm standing outside the bathroom stall, time while I'm getting lunch. No, 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 no. Real, dedicated, focused time for you. That's a one-on-one, okay? So let's just remember the difference. That's the first thing. The second thing is, if you've never had that, that's the first step I would take, is schedule 30 minutes of time for every single teacher to meet with you one-on-one. Okay. Now, if you're in a position where you're like, oh, I can never close my phone for 30 minutes. I can never close my door for 30 minutes. You have bigger issues on trust, on systems, on operations, on a lot of other things that are going on. There should never be a school where a director can't close her door for 30 minutes with massive anxiety of worrying of what's going to happen when I come out. 
nothing should happen in those 30 minutes. Nothing should break. Okay. In those 30 minutes, you want to be asking questions. Okay. You're not coaching. You're not training. You're not advising. You're asking questions. How are you? When was the last time you did something for yourself in the last 24 hours? What hobbies are you engaged with now during the summer season? Do you even have hobbies? Right? What are you doing for fun? What do you do after you leave the school building? People need a life outside of work. People need human connection, relationships, love, joy, connection outside of work because it fuels their work life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And childcare, I think, is especially, um, you know, it draws on that maybe more than some other industries because it is, it involves, especially for educators and directors, of course, as well, it involves so much of you pouring yourself out Absolutely. into the children, into the your enrolled families, into touring families, prospective families. And, um, you know, you're just devoting so much of yourself to other people that I think it's great for a director to you know, be a little bit more personal in those one-on-ones and touch base on their, you know, the things that really matter at home, because that will so strongly impact their work performance, like you mentioned. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Well, this was so, so phenomenal. Is there anything you feel like I didn't ask you that you want to add in here? No, I think this was great, Sierra. I really enjoyed this conversation and hopefully this is really valuable for everyone that's listening. Um, And definitely go check out our podcast, our Delegate to Elevate workshop. All those links will be in the show notes. And thank you so much for having me on, Sierra. This was really, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Child Care CRM or Child Care Forms, visit us online at childcarecrm.com. And make sure to follow, rate, and review so you never miss out on another episode.